everybody, St. Paul here in the historic Creation Audio Studios. And guess what? It is episode 49 of Music on the Run. And my guest, Tommy Barbarella. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donnie Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, St. Paul here. Welcome to episode 49 of Music on the Run. Man, it's hard to believe we almost, you know, we're almost at 50. Today we've got such a great guest, an old buddy of mine. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about uh, my shirt. And those of you who are listening, you can't see it. I'm sporting the Minnesota Vikings shirt. Yes, we won by a whole two points yesterday. We are, what, one and four now here in the 2021-22 season. Yes. I have another reason I'm wearing it, because my guest uh, and I played a concert at the Vikings training grounds uh, a couple of years ago, I think that was. And he has other connections to the Vikings, and we'll get to that as well. I do want to say a big thank you to my patrons. And if you don't know what patrons are, basically they are hanging with us and taking care of us financially. They have a monthly stipend that they give to us so we can put on this show video and audio. If you want to know more about that, go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. Really helps us do this thing. And, you know, every little bit uh, helps. And we sure couldn't do it without those patrons. In fact, I want to do a shout out to a couple of them. One is William Dean. Thank you, as usual, for uh, your support. You always support me in my music career as well. And I'm going to say this wrong. I've been really trying to practice it. Haramasa Akida. Haramasa Akida. I believe from Japan. Thank you so much for uh, your support. I so appreciate it. Anyways, check it out. Patreon.com slash Music on the Run podcast. All right. Oh, one other piece of bad news. Might as well share it with you because this is what's going on. Um... My little tiny dog of 15 years, a gypsy, I almost called her the older one, Gypsy Lou passed away yesterday in my arms. We thought we were going to have to postpone this uh, this podcast, but uh, it was really tough, man. My kid and her boyfriend were with me, and of course my wife was out of town, so little gypsy went over to Rainbow Bridge yesterday, and uh, man, it's always tough to lose a part of the family like that. Our little pets become parts of the family, don't they? But anyway, we don't know what we're going to do. If we're going to get a new dog or, you know, a cat. Are you people cat people? My kids are cat people now. And they're trying to teach me how to be a cat godfather. Grandfather, pardon me. It's starting to go the other direction. But I don't know. I want to start traveling and doing all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you get a brand new pet. You're in it for another fitting years or something like that. Anyways, we, we, we love our little animals, don't we? Ah, what else is going on? Hey, signed up for uh, Grandma's Marathon in June with the Geezers of Gear. Yes, 26.2. I don't know what I was thinking, but we're back on it. Got a little you can be like a year older then. Yeah, it's just not bright, is it? <laughs> and we are all ready to go. We've got how many? four of us signed up. Two for the marathon and two for the half? Yeah. Okay. Davide is sitting here. Davide is one of the Geezers of Gears and... Happens to be the producer of the show. I want to do a little shout-out to my buddy Tanner Montague, who is uh, wrapping up his tenure here as intern at Music on the Run. He has been such a godsend. He's done such a great job. I'm going to trick him into maybe doing the 50th anniversary or the 50th episode uh, in a couple of weeks here. But uh, publicly want to just say thank you so much, Tanner, for all you've done, all the great work you've done. Uh, you've really... Uh, 
up the quality of this thing and just brought such great spirit to this. So thank you so much. And you've done a great job on music on, uh, on uh, Funk Friday as well. Yeah. So, and he's sitting over here as well. I'm pointing right at him. Uh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Okay, actually, this is all about me. You're never going to get on the show, Tommy. <laughs> I got to go now. <laughs> <laughs> My guest today grew up in Minneapolis. He's an incredible keyboard player, producer, arranger, session musician, and writer, and I've been privileged to call him a friend for, I don't know, a long, long time. He's toured with people like Prince, Johnny Lang, and so many others. Please welcome my buddy, Tommy Barbarella. Thank you. Hey, we got an applause out there. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you That's for that applause, as my mother used to say. <laughs> so I am sporting the uh, the uh, jersey for yeah. the Minnesota Vikings. The day after. Uh, day after our first victory. Of, uh, it was actually our second victory. Is it? Can yeah. you tell I'm not watching? <laughs> a little bit. It's all right. <laughs> is it really? You're a smart man. Uh, well, yeah. I just can't. I can't do it. Just rips my soul out to, to spend, uh, yeah. you know, whatever three hours, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we get nowhere. It's what are we gonna do about our bikes? I don't know. It's it's a curse. It's I say it's not a choice. You know, it's like I grew up with it. You you can't like my. I have a brother in law who went over to the other side. Which side is that? He, not the pack. Yeah, he Ooh. at some point in the eighties, I think he just one day decided he was gonna be a Packer fan. No real connection, like he's not from there, whatever. You know, my wife's from Wisconsin, so we have a divided house. Do you? Yeah. How does that go on a Sunday? Uh, it depends. <laughs> I'm the only one really emotionally involved, okay. usually. But I'm doing well this year. My um, my daughters have given me a lot of kudos for not getting so mad. Really? Yeah. A little anger management, maybe? Yeah, I don't know what it is. but I, I it's uh, age. Yeah, <laughs> I'm tempering. So you mm-hmm. and I also did, uh, not only have we done the Minnesota, Minnesota, Minneapolis Funk All-Stars gig, but we've done gigs with Patty and stuff. I kind of think of what other gigs that we've done over the years together. I mean, there's, they all kind of become one gig. They do. It's like, you remember the people like like Billy or Bobby Vandell. Or, it's like, well, TC Jammers, that was a run we That's did. That's true. That TC Jammers uh, point two. Right. Right. That was that uh, was fun. Those were some fun days. Oh my god, that was a great band. Dave so, Island, Jelly Bean, that was funky. It really was funky. Yeah, that was back in my old partying days too. <laughs> yeah. Ouch! I still have a hangover. That's why you don't remember it so well. Oh my god! Yeah, those were the days, man. We were still young bucks and just yeah, making those burgers back in the kitchen, totally. bunkers. <laughs> man, I, that was fun. Yeah. So you grew up in what part of? Uh, uh, Minneapolis. Were- I actually grew up in St. Paul. Oh, you did? Yeah, I went to Hill Murray High School in Maplewood. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like, so you went to Holy, Holy Angels. Angels. Yeah. Very similar. Got it. Co-ed. Yeah. Yeah. Hockey school. Were you a hockey player? <laughs> no, I was in the pep band. Oh, got it. <laughs> I you- played trumpet. No way. Is that what you started on? Um, That's what I played in school, you know. In our family, we all had to take two years of piano lessons. Um, I played trumpet in school band and did it all through through high school. And then I quit because it was just too much work. Those brass instruments. Ugh. Yeah. But well, uh, yeah. you took two years of piano. That was the mandate in the family. Yeah, and then I kept going. So I I studied classical all through through one year of college. I was a music major for one year. Where Where'd you go? St. John's for oh. one year, then I transferred to the U of M. Yeah, that was like turning point in my life. It was that summer of 85. Oh, yeah. I used to see you down at First Ave. Oh. Dancing out on the dance floor. You know, you're Your just shiny younger suit. than me to probably look at that. And, and, and I mean, because I came from before you in the, the Prince camp. Yeah, a few years. What was that like just to see someone like... I'm what, two years older than you? Yeah, it was two years. So, dude, it was like this. Um, I was in a band called Z-Bop with, I don't know if you know any of the guys, Giovanni Ford, Ron Heine. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had the house gig down at Felty's. After I did After players. players, After the players. Oh, my God. And we kind of traded off with um, Dreamscape. Dreamscape? Thad Spencer's band, Brian Gallagher was in the band, Lisa Keith. Yeah. Those are some fun days. Um, but at the time, uh, I was living with Giovanni Singer, and um, 
you know, back then it's like you didn't have Spotify that you only had the albums you had. That's what you listened mm -hmm. to, right? And I think the family album probably got played more than any other record that year in our apartment. Really? Yep. And I remember we were down at first half one night and I'm like, who's that guy? He thinks he's so cool. He's like in a shiny suit or whatever. And he's like, dude, that's St. Paul. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I'll never forget that night. That was funny. And you were out what there. Was I, causing you were, problems you were dancing. You were on the dance floor dancing. I'm like, who's that guy? Like the voice we listen to every day in our apartment. Like, oh my God. But yeah, that was like the first time I actually saw you. Um, yeah, that would have been 85. I was right in the thick of it. Yeah, that summer was amazing. I mean, that summer, um, so I came back from college at St. John's and I got in this band. And they're like, yeah, you want to try out for the band? And um, we just played at Felty's. I'm like, what? Felty's? Big deal back in those it was, days. That was the coolest. Felty's was the cool game. It was the cool club because I'd gone down there and I wasn't old enough to get in, but I used to stand outside in the atrium, whatever. I had a fake ID. To <laughs> I yeah. didn't. I would stand outside to listen for Ricky's solos. Did you? Oh, yeah. He's talking, you guys are talking about my brother Ricky, who's a great keyboard player as well. Yeah, so, and so... That summer, I got in that band. We played, remember Scotty's on 7th? Barely. Yeah. So, I think, um, Samoa was oh, playing yeah. there one night. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know, it was just heady times. It was like I was, everyone was around, you know, the dudes from the time. It was like I was meeting people, and I was just, my head was exploding. Like, this is amazing. I'm, like, living in purple rain. Totally. And, um, yeah. but Ricky, like, let me sit in that night. And I was like, what? Really? Okay. Yeah. He he didn't really care um, that night. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was late in the Probably night. We gave him time to uh, go get a, a little scotch and a sugar. Yeah, and rocks, you know? but uh, I was like, I just remember going home that night. This is the greatest night of my life. I met Jimmy Jam. I got to sit in on Ricky's stuff. And it was just oh, like. so cool. It's amazing yeah. what sticks with you from those times. I was 18, you know, it was just like. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, those are moments you never forget. But yeah, it's. That's when it all started, it was that summer. Like, when were you playing with the Steels? Was it around that same time? Well, that would have been like three years later. Um, oh. So yeah, so I had you know, been in different bands and um, I was out in a band out on Lake Minnetonka. I'd kind of put that band together. Houdini's was one summer in mm -hmm. Excelsior, that place. Um, Gerilyn Steele was singing with us. Whoa. And um, she, I guess hired me or you know asked me to come play with the, with the family and they were right. playing more you know the fine line was new they were playing there um, but that was the band with Joey um, with Finger with Sonny Sonny and I came in at the same time Sean was still playing bass oh my god <laughs> that's great so uh, Daryl Boudreau Daryl is he there yep yep and Todd Marks, who I saw last night at a no. gig I played. I hadn't seen him probably since then. It was crazy. Todd Marks toured with me on the new Kids on the Block tour. Really? Yes, he did. When we played nothing and it was all the death. <laughs> That's a story for another day. So I just invited my drinking buddies to go on the road with me. Oh, him, Finger, um, Rob Arthur. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Wow. So you played with the Steels. I played with the Steels. J.D., J.D. Steele, uh, you guys, is, is like, the Steele family is a complete legend in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul area and way beyond. Just go check them out, Google them, whatever. But J.D. took me under his wing when I, I bet you I was 16 years old. He took me to the Children's Theater recording studio. Mm. He, I'll never forget the song. It was called... Find yourself another man. Find yourself another man. This kind of love I just can't stand. Does that sound like a J.D. song? <laughs> yep. So, but I played all the instruments. He just let me go and kind of showed me around what that whole thing was like. So the Steels were so instrumental in in bringing me along. Not only my own family, but them me as too. well. Yeah. And they came from Gary, Indiana, yep. I believe, up here in late 70s, early 80s, something like that. I don't know that year. I'm making that up right now. Go fact check me. Probably early 80s, yeah. yeah. I actually spent a night at their parents' home in Gary. Um, we played a yeah. show down in uh, Chicago, like a college gig or something. And then we we stayed in Chicago. And then, I don't know why, but we, the next night, we, we ended up 
sleeping, crashing at their parents' house mm. in Gary. And the next morning, J.D. got up. He wanted to go visit the high school like he went to to see right. his teacher stuff. And Finger went with him. <laughs> no. And he, you know, there were no white people in Gary at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's eighty, late 80s. Um, but Finger was just like, all the kids were pointing at me like they'd never seen a white person in person before. Wow, really? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But great family. And J.D., yeah, same for me. Like, um, I had a four-track in my house, and him and Daryl would come over, and we'd write a lot of songs. We actually wrote the first their first Christmas show in my really? studio. It's probably 89, 88. Maybe it was 88. Um, and I'll never forget, he, my parents came to that show, and it was super fun. I'd never heard gospel singing up close, like, in the space, like, and they're so powerful. Um, but yeah, they took me under the wing. And I remember JD met my parents that night and he's like, your son has a great career ahead of him. And I was like, wow, yeah, he said that. And my parents at that time still weren't really sold on the whole music thing. I was going to ask you that. I, uh, yeah, I was not supported. Um, it's like, it's a nice hobby, son. You you can't make a living at that. And, uh, well, there's like, some truth in that. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, it's things kind of come full circle, but um, that's why I went to college. That's why I finished college. I got, I was touring with Prince when I f- finished my degree at the U of M in journalism um, through independent study, just because I needed that degree. You did that for your parents. I did. I did it for my parents. Yeah, and my my Catholic guilt kicked in, and <laughs> I just had to do it. I remember Prince said that day I, I told him or whatever, and he's like. Nobody talked to Prince, or nobody talked to Tommy. He's going to write a book about us or something, because I said I had a degree in journalism. <laughs> so literally. A little late to the game on that one. Yeah. Huh? There have been a lot of books. Do you participate in those um, at all? Some. Um, you know, I've always been pretty choosy about who I talk to. We're talking about to, books about Prince, you guys. And even just doing interviews, you know. It's like, there's obviously great Writers like Alan Light, um, who I will always say yes to. Um, mm-hmm. He was, you know, did interviews with him when he was editor of Vibe, you know, like way back. How did you get in the bubble? I mean, you were in local bands. You had to convince your parents <laughs> that music was for you. I mean, let's start there. Yeah, and you know, I, I've done a lot of speaking to high school kids, some college kids, where I I say, you know, my parents didn't really support my music. And um, it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to do everything on my own, Hmm. you know. And and I was still moonlighting, being a pretty bad student at the U, but I got my degree. But I literally had to do it all on my own. Um, (laughs) It reminds me of a story like uh, Steve, did you know Steve Faison's brother, Sonny? Yeah. Or Sonny Uh Faison? Yeah. I don't know how I met him, but when I was first starting out, you know, you grew up in a family with music. You had gear all yeah. around you like this. Yeah. It's like, I didn't, you know, right. and gear was expensive, you know. Oh, yeah. And as a college kid, it's like, you just can't go out and buy a synthesizer. It, back then, especially, they cost so much. And um, so I'd gotten in the band, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have an amp. I didn't, I didn't have all the stuff. And um, I don't know how I met Sonny, but... Uh, He's like, come by my house. You can you can borrow some stuff. And I walked into a room, some studio or some, and he had tons of gear. And I was just like, wow, mm. so much equipment. And he's like, someday you will too. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. But he um, he was so kind, and he like let me borrow a bunch of. Gear. I don't remember what it was, but when he passed, I mentioned that story, and Steve had no idea about that. Really? Yeah, he was like, that is so cool. I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, I don't even know how I met him. But, uh, you know, there were, you're talking about people coming up that, you know, help you out. But yeah, doing it, I did it all on my own. Um, it, it was, it, it made me better. It made me work harder. Um, nothing was handed to me musically, you know. I was like, yeah, I had some talent, but, you know, I mostly inherited a, a good work ethic from my parents, Um Really old school. My dad was like World War II. They were an older generation. and um, But that's how I grew up. Very strict, work hard, you know, 
practice a lot. Mm. So that's what I did. You paid your dues, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So Geraldine asked me to play with the Steels. I'll play with the Steels. We were um, playing the fine line every month or every like one weekend a month. We played there a lot. Prince started coming down because Sonny and I joined the band at the same time. So he knew Sonny. Sonny Thompson. Sonny Thompson. Okay. They'd grown up together. So Prince would come down and sit in that balcony with, what's her face? Uh, Batman era. Kim Bassinger. Kim Bassinger, yeah. Come on, I'll get you for Yeah. They would sit up there and watch, and um, and everyone was saying, he's he's watching you. He's got his eye on you. He likes you. And I'm like, what? Really? And then nothing happened. Nothing happened. But um, then I got a call one day to... uh, so he was doing a record on Margaret Cox called mm-hmm. MC Flash, and um, most of the band was Mambo's Combo. And Steve Cherowan, the keyboard player, decided he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do the tour. They were going to talk of opening for Prince on a tour in Europe. And so they called me and like, can you come out and start rehearsing with, with Margaret's band and how to Paisley? We're going to be opening for him on the European tour. I'm like, yeah. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. So I go yes. out there and start doing that. And, it was, and that's when I first time I met Prince was at that first rehearsal. And it wasn't too long into those rehearsals. It might have been like day two or three. And he said, um, Tommy, Sonny, Michael, can you want to help me with a couple songs after rehearsal? Like, yeah. Yes, I can. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> so like hauled our gear over to Studio B, set up, and he showed us the song, first song. And we recorded it. And, you know, he's just like, just play whatever you feel. Just play, you know whatever you're hearing. And um, we did it. We kind of helped helped him arrange it and get to the point. And, and that song was Diamonds and Pearls. What? Yeah. I wasn't even in the band yet. It was just kind of like, let's see what these three guys, how we can work together in the studio. He and, um, plucked you out of MC Flash. Mm-hmm. said, come with me and help me. And he was just auditioning you without auditioning you formally. Yeah. So, you know, it was like literally parts on that record I just did on the fly like, you know, the little bell line answer to Diamonds and Pearls, bing, 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 bing. <clears throat> I just did that. You know, I just really, like, you know, that's what he said. His keyboard player just like, produce it, Tommy, produce it. Put your hands down. Just, what, what, you know, what yeah. would you do if you were producing it as a record? That's how his keyboard players approached the live thing, you know, fill it out with these sounds, you know. And what I didn't remember, Michael, Michael Bland is, reminded me was that later that same day like that night after the gig after the combo he called us back out there to record s- uh, some more and we recorded um live for love which ended up on diamonds and pearls as well i remember <laughs> sheila was in the studio with him and i was made me even extra nervous yeah because she was cute because sheila he was she in there. was cute michael bland says about you he's got funk he's got style <laughs> He's a pleasure to know, to work with, and to call a friend. Mm. That's from Michael B to you. I called a couple of your buddies. His Michael. Two. Tell me about Michael. Probably the most instrumental person in my career. I mean, why is that? Well, Prince asked him about me when he was apparently checking me out. And, uh, and Michael had seen me playing with Steels, I think. And uh, he vouched for me. He's like, yeah, he's funky. And I was like, had you played played with Michael before? Or? I hadn't. You just heard me. Where but, did he uh, hear you? <clears throat> I played with the Steels. I think like okay. Uptown Jazz Fest or something. Oh and, sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Michael's brought me into so many projects, just monumental stuff like that. Um, the Georgia gig over in Italy we did mm. for many years. Right. Um, I don't know. You know, Sonny Thompson too. The three of us we've done a lot together over you the sure years. Sure have. Um, those guys. Tell me about the three you know. of you in NPG. Get, get us to where Prince asks you to be in the band. How did that all, what was that conversation like? Well, you, as you know, there there was no conversation. <laughs> it's just all shrouded in mystery and coolness and like, what just happened? I don't know. Um, so yeah, I wasn't in the band. We'd recorded these songs. Um, I went out and did that tour um, which wasn't MC Flash. At the last minute, he decided not to put her record out, not to bring her out as the opening act, but he turned that same band into a backing band for Mavis, Mavis Staples. Oh, so we, the record Ricky and I did with her, probably. Yeah, with the... Uh, House in Auto. I think that was later. Was that later? 
96, I think we did. This was Jaguar. Okay. This was like, yeah, Miko was playing on some of that stuff. It was, um, but you know, out on the, on the the shows, we, we did all the classic staples singer stuff, but it was, it's like, so you talked about cats. So we have a cat. Oh yeah. We got a cat because we didn't want to get our dog yet. The cat's getting kind of old now. The cat's name? Mavis. (laughs) (laughs) Mavis. <laughs> <laughs> I ran into her a few years ago, and I, I had to tell her, I'm like, you know, we, our cat's named after you. <laughs> oh, my God. And Mavis called me Hollywood. That was, uh, when she meets people, she gives them a nickname because yeah. she can't remember anyone's name, but she'll remember her name for you, right? So right. we all had names. And yeah, you so pretty, you should be in Hollywood. I'm going to call you Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool to have that Hall of Famer W Hollywood there. And I thought she gave Billy Billy the nickname Reverend. There's there's discrepancy on that one. But uh, Sonny was definitely Rain Man. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And Margaret was Sunshine. Mm. Was she then in the backing band for Mavis then? She sang backup for Mavis. Oof. Oh, yeah, that's a whole yeah, other conversation. I know. We had a great we had a great time. That was that was uh, and Doug Nelson played bass. And, uh, oh, one of my mentors on the bass. Great Minneapolis bass player who passed man fifteen years ago, longer? Something like that. This is the, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So who we did that tour. Um that was summer of like ninety. Right. And then um came back and nothing happened, nothing happened. Um, and then in December, I got a call from Therese, um, who asked if I was available to play Rock in Rio with Prince um, in January. That was your first gig with Prince? Yeah, 200,000 people. <laughs> first gig. Oh. I don't remember anything. Because Ter- you were terrified? Terrified. Right. So it's it scary enough. How old, were, how old were you then? About 22, 23. That's terrifying. Yeah. 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 I think we we did did like maybe one show at the Glam Slam or something like that. Oh, in those days. Maybe sure. a little warm up. I I I don't know. But yeah, first concert, two hundred thousand people. Oof. And my sustain pedal didn't work. <laughs> Is purple, that funny? No, funny I found out when purple rain intro starts. Oh. I'm like clam. <laughs> not not in, not even clam. But isn't that funny? What you remember from that is that the trouble that you went through. Instead oh, yeah. of looking out there and going, I'm really here in front of these many people. It's hard. It was hard to enjoy uh, a lot. A lot of the gig was hard to enjoy because I mean you're on often on nerves and pins and needles because of him because of the pressure of the gig and not screwing up and you know there was no safety net back then. There were no tracks. There right. were you know it was. And he relied heavily on the keyboard player, you know. Oh, yeah. In those first few years, uh, Rosie Gaines was the other keyboard player um, who, you know, amazing singer. Um, but she wasn't, she, and she could play some funky organ stuff. Right. She's a great church player. But all those other hundreds of parts were coming from me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. What was the conversation like? Because I know when I was in doing the family and Billy Carruthers was playing keyboards for us, he came up to him and said something to the fact, you know, he's playing all these Claire Fisher arrangements. He's like, well, how come you're not using both hands right now? Yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't call for it right now. Well, yes, it does. Double it on a keyboard below. Right. Did he pull that kind of stuff oh, yeah. on you? Yeah, he never wanted to see you playing with one hand. It was like, what's your other hand doing? And then he would give you another part. And it would be a great funky part or whatever. Of course. But often hard to do at the same time, but you worked it till you did it. Yeah, and then you're you know you're juggling five six parts and, and then he asked for another one. I'm like, well, I can't, I can't. I'm already doing this. Figure out a way. And then it's like, okay, so if I hold sustain pedal with this, if I split this keyboard and this and add another sound here, I can. So you know, a song like Diamonds and Pearls, I you know was covering like nine parts at once. Um, yeah, I remember there was a specific rehearsal when the pressure was just crazy. We were about to debut that song. You know, back when national television was a, a thing. thing, when it was just networks, and um, we were performing it for the first time. I don't think it was out yet as a single. The record wasn't out yet. And we performed it at, um, I think it was Special Olympics um, Metrodome, big, huge thing, but it was broadcast. It was like national television. So it was live, and, you know, I, I kept clamming some certain things in the rehearsal. It was like, because it was literally 
trumpets, bells, mayhem. Oh, it was crazy. Right. And, um, and choreography. <laughs> and look cool, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And look effortless like him, you know. Right. And uh, he had me stay after rehearsal and keep practicing my parts. <laughs> like you were in school. Yeah. That first year was pretty rough. He was, he was rough on me. What was his inspirational style? <laughs> We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday, including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earth, Wind & Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast. And there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast. There are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website. And there are many different levels on how you can become involved. We could not put on this podcast without our patrons. All right, let's get back to the interview. What was his inspirational style? (laughs) (laughs) I set you up. I set you up. I want to hear how you answer that one. Like Michael says, fear is the great motivator, you know. But you said that in another interview, and thats I think it's okay that you bring that up. That whole camp did that. Yeah. And to let you off the hook, <clears throat> I've said that a million times. When I walked into the time, the second coming of the time, Jesse ruled that thing like up a James Brown gig. Yeah. Oh, you suck. You playing. I mean, and I love Jesse now, <laughs> 35 years later, but he was awful mm-hmm. to me. Was that kind of the same? That's how he inspired I, yeah. you? I guess. Yeah. I guess. I remember I remember Rosie like trying to stick up for me and like I told him you're being too hard on him. <laughs> really? She yeah. went to we went to bat for you, huh? Yeah. But you know, I I was just hanging on by a thread. I, you know, I was just like happy to be there, of course. I'm like, I can't believe I have this gig. Right. Um, you know, and it was also back then, um, I remember we played uh there used to be a music convention in Atlanta uh, called Jack the Rapper. Um black music R&B convention. And I remember going there in that first year and um, playing Ain't No Way with Rosie, just me and her, Aretha Tune. I didn't see any other white people in, in the room. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like playing black music is an honor. It's like, I've always like treated it with a lot of respect, like as a white person, like I have no business doing this. You know, it's like, I, but I've approached it in a way of, of reverence where it's like, I'm honored to be to be deemed good enough to play this music with you, you know. So there was that pressure too for me. That was the only white kind of band, you know. Right. And um, there was a lot of things like that that were like <laughs> like Wendy says, like it's awesome, it's like amazing. But there's also uh, tension for me, you know, as someone who worked his way in, worked his way up, and it's like, yeah, I have talent, but yeah, I, the gospel thing didn't come naturally. I right. mean, it. I kind of, you know, I always say it's like I'm a jack of many trades, master of none. Like, it's like, well, no, I'm not a great Latin player or this player, but I've studied all the genres enough to be able to, to be able to do it, not do it wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, the worst thing a keyboard player who's not funky could do is like call up a clavinet patch, right? Like, that <laughs> can destroy right. a groove yep. like nothing else. Right. So, you learn that stuff early on. And um, yes. you were thrown very much like me into a situation that was not, it was a new cultural experience. Totally. Same for me. Totally. I, and I had to learn. I came from a bebop background yeah. where I play everything the way I want to play it. Mm-hmm. That's how I was raised. Yeah. You get into the Prince bubble and it's like, oh, no, no. He will play it exactly like this, exactly either on top or behind the beat. Mm-hmm. You'll play it with two <laughs> hands. You will dance. And you will do it exactly perfect every single time. Mm-hmm. That's what's called parts playing. 
Yeah. And there's a certain, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, I was thrown into a situation where I had to assimilate into, um, I guess the groove is really the word I'm looking for, because it had to be done with such authenticity mm-hmm. uh, that wouldn't piss off the former or the fans of the time, For in my case. Yeah. That's what Jesse was looking for. That's what Prince was looking for. Yeah. And whoa, I mean, talk about eyes opening. For me, as I look back at it 35 years later, it was the greatest college experience of my life. Mm-hmm. How do you view your tenure with that whole scene? Same, totally the same. You know, it's, I, I've said that not a day goes by, a work day where I'm doing music where I don't apply something I learned during that time. I mean, just the amount of stuff. Um, like what, for instance? I have a phrase I use in rehearsals or in, in the studio where uh, you're trying to find the right part, you're trying to find the right um, sound or the right arrangement, and, and it's like, well, it's got to be this. And my, my line is, well, it only works one way. And it's like, there's a right way and a wrong way, kind of. It's like, there's certain things that's like, well, this, you know, when something works and something doesn't. Right. You know, it's like a groove, a part. It's like, no, not feeling it. And when, when it's right, you know it is. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, yep, there it is. It only works one way. That's it. Right. I feel like I got that from him. And just, you know, so many things. But the sense of fearlessness, um, Right. There were times when we'd be jamming, you know, Sonny, Levi, they, they always knew what to play. They, and I learned, figured it out later that, you know, Levi's 27 comp rhythms were all different James Brown tunes. And it's like, yes. why? he always knows what to play. It's all the right. rest of stuff. He's like, well, Sex Machine always works. Or this always works. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. But that repertoire of stuff, you know, um, when we'd be jamming and I was like, I wasn't sure what to do. And he's like, Come on, Tommy, put your hands down. That was like a line he'd always see. Mm. Just put put your hands down. And sometimes I'd put my hands down, and eight bars later, Tommy, lay out. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not it. But, you know, that's the learning experience. Um, I mean, even the simplest stuff, like simple church stuff, like I, I started applying after the gig with some of my other musician friends who didn't know any of that, so... In a church band, usually gospel church, you usually have a piano player and an organ guy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, 101 is, well, someone's on the one, someone's on the two. So if someone's going, bing, bam, bing, bam, you know, the mm-hmm. piano's on the one, organ's on the two, something like that, right. or with like guitars and keys. And it's just that stuff that you, I didn't innately know any of that, but like the, when we played with the jammers, it was like we would hit some really great grooves between you and me. Dave and Jellybean, because mm-hmm. we all came from that same school. Yeah. And we could lock, you know, one guitar's up high, one's down low, doing doom, 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 doom. Mm-hmm. You know. Parts playing. Yeah. So it's like, and that's stuff most people don't ever really learn. And you can't really teach them that. I don't think, unless you're, a, let me rephrase that. We were taught that. Yeah, we were. But we were taught that by a camp that was like, learn or die. Yeah. And that kind of pressure, I think, on you and on me, and we put on ourselves, created that opportunity for us, even though it could have been hell at times when we were in it. But 35 years looking back, it was the best school I could have ever gone to. Well, and, you know, the militaristic approach, it's like, I, I hear recordings or I see videos of that that first NPG band, that first year, even before the horns were there. Like we did Arsenio, or we played that whole show, the first one, and it is ferocious and mm. the, it's the tightest band. It's not just tight either. It's just like there's an intensity to it that is every note your life depends on. And th- it kind of did at the time. Yeah. And um, I don't ever hear that anymore in, in music and shows today. It's, I don't hear it anymore. I didn't hear it from his bands later, to be honest. Mm. Not to take anything away from anyone else, but there was an energy, there was a ferociousness in that at that time, the early 90s. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> we did play a gig at Glam Slam. It was the first show we played before we went to Rio. And I remember we were gathering before we, we went out and Prince was looking around. We'd always do like a prayer gathering thing before going on stage. 
And he's looking around. He's like, wow, I don't even know Tommy. (laughs) 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 I mean, we would have been in rehearsal for like two, three weeks or something. Right. So, Did he ever really know you? Did you ever really know him? Yeah. Isn't that funny that people will say, what was it like? What was it like? That's probably the question we get the most, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't answer it. I, I say interesting, different, unique, um, you know, can't explain, unexplainable. Enigma. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I had a very boss employee relationship with them for my little tenure there mm-hmm. in the 80s. Now, later, it was different because he couldn't have his thumb on me. Mm-hmm. And we, I feel we got along way better once I was out of the bands. Yeah. And it's not that we didn't get along when I was in the band. It just was a different vibe. Yeah. It was his show, and very much it should have been. You, mm-hmm. Everything you touched would turn to that. Did you ever develop, oh, this is a dumb question, but did you ever develop a true friendship with him? Could you in a working environment like that? I think it was, in the end, I mean, he created a life for himself that those were his friendships. It's true. I, I And I'm sure others will say different, but... From what I saw, I mean, when he married Maite, um, I was at the reception at Paisley and was very small, but I'm posing for pictures with him and his dad. Wow. And it was like, I remember thinking, this is so weird. <laughs> Everyone there. Was it not a character, you think? I mean, it was super cool in, in a way, too. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm honored. Mm-hmm. But we're all also on payroll. So, <laughs> well, good. yeah. You know, yeah, I I don't know the friendship thing. It, it, to me, that's, that's part of the sadness of uh, of it all. Um, as as time went on, I don't know. You know, I um I didn't talk to him much after after working. So I had started playing with Greasy Meal um, while we were still NPG. I don't remember exactly when, but you know, we didn't rehearse on Sundays, so that was the Sunday night gig mm-hmm. with Greasy. So I was able to do that. Um, and then, uh, then he took that band apart. So there was some time and Greasy was kind of mm-hmm. starting to explode and I was having a great time. You know, it was such a different experience of not being told what to do, have being with a band, you know, yeah, like, uh, uh, democracy or whatever. And it was just really fun to play. I <laughs> say I was what, 28 and it was like, yeah, I'm tired of playing the big arenas. It's really fun to play the club again. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. That's so messed up. But at yeah. the time, it, it, it actually was. It was like, and it was also like starting, that band started out from, I mean, it was a local super group, but it was just, you know, playing 70s covers for fun. And then we started writing originals. And before you knew it, it was, it got real big. Um, so he put together a new band hmm. uh, and asked me to be in it. Oh, Probably six months later, after he broke up the MPG, and uh, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of want to see this greasy meal thing through. I, he's like, well, come on out and check it out. You know, got this cool girl on guitar and bass, and the Ronda and Cat. Mm-hmm. Kirk was playing drums. Um, so I think I went out there one day and jammed with them a little bit, and I was just like, I wasn't feeling it. And and I wanted to see the greasy meal thing through. True. It was like my own thing. So that was your new opportunity then. You yeah. Don't blame you. So I, I said no. Wow. Um and don't regret it at all. Greasy meal was the funnest years of my life. Um that was just a blast. I actually played a show with Julius last night. I know you did. Yeah. At the rooftop. That was great. It was so great. Well, let's um, talk about one last thing. Number one, there's one other thing we have in common. You will forever be known, <laughs> and, and as well I, as our new moniker that our former boss gave us. Oh, yeah. Tommy Barbarella, St. Paul Peterson. Yeah. Did you ever vacillate whether you wanted to keep that name or go back to Elm? And how does that work for you? Well, I never legally changed my name. And Therese. Uh, asked me if I wanted to. Yeah. Like when, when I found out that was my name, I, I wasn't asked about that either. Nor was I. The funny story was my mom saw a picture in the paper of myself, Prince, and Tony M, Tony Mosley, hmm. the three of us, and she's called me and she's like, 
Tom, there's a picture in the paper that it looks like you, but it's not your name. Oh my God, your mother found us out. And that's when I saw it, or that's the first time I saw it, I think. Um, yeah, and then Teresa's like, well, do you want to legally change it? I'm like, I never thought, I'm like, no. So I, I've always just, but I did copyright it or I trademarked it. That's really smart. When he broke up the band, because I'm like, well, I want to keep using it because mm-hmm. millions of people know that name. Why well, it'd be stupid not to. Yeah. So people have questioned that, but I'm like, you know, why not? I I like it. Yeah. And um not that he's defining me, but it's like, I don't know. I I, I like having the professional name and it's a cool freaking name. It is a cool name. <laughs> like, it is. It's got some panache. It does. So uh So why not use it? Yeah, so I've always used it professionally, and um, but I've I've kept my real name. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So coming out of the Prince camp, and I want to talk about what what you've been up to since then because it's been a long time. Yeah. You built yourself a life. You have done a million different things. You've tell me a little bit about. Um, you became a, a session musician around town with a guy across the hall here too. By the way, John Fields. You were in Greasy with him. Mm-hmm. Tell me what records you did with him. With Jahan? Yeah. Oh, geez. I don't even know. Really? Um, well, some of the early stuff was like early Miley Cyrus, um, all the Disney stuff, all those guys. All the, yeah, all Mandy Moore. Mandy Moore. That was a good record. She's very good, that one. She is. She is. Oh, by the way, John says about you. Oh, boy. Because I, I, I texted him last night. I said, tell me something about Tom. He said, really, nothing much to say. He's the best there is. <laughs> that's what he said uh, oh, I thought you might want to know that that's well yeah, I'm going to cry now so a lot of this is your life <laughs> well Julia said something last night that I almost dropped a beat uh, what did he say he said he said that I was the perfect musician and again like coming from him it's like meaning that he's not embarrassed to play a Donny Hathaway song with me you know, like right. the deepest of soul. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> but yeah, those, those are great compliments. Nice to get validation, man. I mean, you work, you've worked so hard and you're such a, an accomplished player, but it's still always <clears throat> nice for somebody to go, doing good, man. Yeah, well, when it comes from people you respect, like Julius and John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, John's, John's such a force. His energy is so fast. It's like when he moved to LA and I started sending him stuff, it was just bam, bam, bam. John Fields is a great producer who happens to be across the hall from me at the studio that we're at right now. And he's done a million records. But then he's just done very well for himself. Super respected in the musical community. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, Switchfoot. I did stuff in the Switchfoot records. um, Backstreet. Backstreet Boys? Boys? Oh, yeah. Did you? I auditioned for them once. Really? I sure. I did not get the gig, but I auditioned. Yes, I did. I did a string arrangement on um, the records, and then I ran into him in Italy, you know, and I was doing the Georgia gig, and it was right after I had I'd done that, and the record came out, and, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I, just, I did the string arrangement on the song on your record, and they're like, yeah, I think I saw your name in the credits. <laughs> it's like, I never <laughs> met. <laughs> hey, well, that's better than piss off. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you do after the Prince Camp? Tell me about your time. You you worked for so, an agency for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, so the Greasy Meal thing was a constant. And during that time, I, I joined, um, I started doing jingles, a place called Ash and Spencer. And this was the, called the heyday of, of jingle of jingle work. Um, immediately was doing Super Bowl spots. Uh, big, you know, it was big stuff. Mm. And uh, my my reel just from those few years, those early years, it's just like eye popping, like, yeah. wow. Um, and it was great work. It was still all union work. It was great money. So tons of jingles. So I was like on staff with them and, you know, you're just churning stuff out. And it was a great opportunity for me to use my classical background. You know, so there was budgets for stuff. I was arranging for choirs and, you know, strings. And so it was like wonderful to be able to flex those Things I didn't get to do during the Prince years, um, and all the styles. You know, there was still a lot of jazz in in commercial work back then. Interesting. Huh. So Mark Ash, who started that company with Thad, got out. He didn't want to do it anymore, and 
he was kind of the piano jazz guy in house who so they needed a guy to fill to be able to do those that bag yeah so i started doing that and that's that was a constant through my career for 20 years um doing the jingle thing different main source income kind of was yeah that was like this the steady and right still did touring and and um you know other gigs and that kind of stuff but uh that was a big um that's all changed now (laughs) yeah totally changed but um you know it was it was it was a great opportunity and i it helped me a lot um so I did that. Uh, uh, did that gig over in Italy for many years with Georgia, right? Big uh, Italian superstar, and that that was amazing. And that was with Sonny and Michael as well. Uh, Mike Scott came over sometimes. Jeff Lee Johnson did one tour. Michael Baker or Michael Bland? Both. Oh, and we you know did her records. I wrote songs with her um, that were did well, and and that was. And I remember talking about turning down gigs. I remember I took that gig after um, when Dave Barry was MD for Janet. Yeah, he asked he asked me to do the gig. You turned down the Janet Jackson, down the gig? Janet yeah, Jackson gig. Did you really? I did. How come? Probably not the smartest move in hindsight. Or did did you have kids by that point? No, or you were single. Yeah. Wow. Hell's uh, the matter with you. <laughs> My reasoning was really stupid. Um, it was right after the Prince gig. And at, by the end of the Prince thing, I was out front with him. I was strutting around the stage with the keyboard, the Purple Axe. Keytar. Yeah, Purple Axe. That's right. They didn't call it that yet back I'm then. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, flying, not only up front, but flying around, if I remember correctly. You yeah, know, you're doing all sorts of silly shit, man. Prince's band was very featured um, at that time in all this stuff. And then... Janet had like 50 dancers. Right. And the band was behind the dancers. And mm-hmm. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, but then I, then I got to the Italy gig with, uh, with those guys. That was after the Greasy Meal thing ended. Um, and that turned into like a seven-year run. I mean, I was over there about half the year. Like for wow. Five to seven years. So. And it was wonderful. I, you know. Not a bad place to rest your head. Javadez and Italiano, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know about Georgia. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. So I don't think if I would have taken the Janet gig, I would have been playing an enormous coliseum in Italy with people singing back the song that I wrote with her. I mean, wow. There's memories like that that's just like, that's, those are, you know, I'll never forget some of those, some of those shows and those beautiful places over there. So overall, the biz had been pretty good to you, huh? I guess. You're still here. Still here. <laughs> still doing gigs. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, so. Tell me about the Vikings. The gig. Vikings thing. You know, so I, um, about 10 years ago, I started working with Charles Lazarus, trumpet player with the Minnesota Orchestra. And um, he, he had his own thing, kind of his fusion-y side project that he did um, himself. But he also did shows like with the orchestra. So I, I thought this would be a good relationship to start working with him. And as I started working with him more, we, you know, we would do shows with the orchestra. I got the opportunity to start doing some arrangements um, for, for the orchestra for some of his shows. Whoa. And it was like, yes. Yeah. You know, so I kind of got to hone my arranging chops hearing it played back by one of the world's greatest orchestras man and um How great is that you know it was like a chart here and there um and then they after when prince passed they asked me to do the purple rain arrangement that they did javita and the steels did man. Mm-hmm. right that and for beautiful. me that was like a super high point of my life where it was like i got to do, arrange for the orchestra they recorded it um and the steels are singing it and it was like my whole career kind of full circle mm-hmm um, and then a couple years later, the next year, I arranged an entire show for the orchestra, um, for Charles Lazarus with the orchestra featuring the Steels. Um, you know, like 22 charts or something, like the whole program. So, yeah. And then, um, and then more recently, they asked me to write this piece for the 
the Vikings. What do they call it? Symphony of the North. Yes, Symphony of the North. <laughs> it's cool. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. You have to uh, find it on YouTube or whatever. But they play it as the players are coming in, right? Yeah, so they, they gave me tickets to that that first game, um, first home game, and louder than shit in there. It's just yeah. like, but it's like pretty That's powerful. My <laughs> That's my song. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Um, so, yeah. Tell me about the greatest job you've got, and that's being hubby and dad. Tell yeah. me about your family. Yeah, so I, uh, my wife and I have been married 15 years. Congratulations. Together 20 years, I think. Three kids, two girls, 13, 15, and 21-year-old son. I'm sorry, 23-year-old. It's hard keep, to believe, isn't they it? They keep getting older. I know, man. Um. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I was I got off the road um, when my youngest was one. Uh, I was touring with Johnny Lang at the time. Be going out for a month or so at a time, coming back for a few days, and I come back and my youngest was looking at me like, "Who's this guy?" And I'll never forget. It was a uh, Fourth of July. I was home for like a day and a half, and we had to fly out like at five o'clock on the 4th of July. So it's like, I did like even neighborhood morning 4th of July thing, which is pretty cool. I did that and I had to leave and say goodbye. And we flew into Denver and as we were coming in, they're looking out the window and seeing the fireworks. And I just got so sad. I'm like, I should be with my family right now. I want to mm. be watching, laying in a blanket, watching fireworks with my family. And um, that's the moment I decided, can't do this anymore. Yeah. I want I want my kids to know who I am. So I kind of made that conscious choice um, and turned down some other big gigs after Did that you? too. Maroon 5. Did you really? You, you know who like got them? you know who got the gig though? Who? Um, PJ Morton. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. By you turning that down, you probably helped him out. You know. I think that's who got it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was like a two-year commitment, two-year tour. <laughs> it was oh, just yeah, like, I'm sure. Nah. And I told my, who was one at the time, and the, now she's 13, I told her about that the other day. She's like, you did what? <laughs> like, yeah. All for you. Yeah. Uh, again. Good decision, man. Don't regret anything. Good, good decision. And now, yeah, they grow up so fast, and now it's like, you only get one shot at that. Boy, isn't that the, that's why I said it's the most important gig you'll ever have. Yeah. It really is. And you still live in the neighborhood. You're involved in, in, in playing at church, man, that you're a man of faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, you said Catholic guilt earlier, and I know you and I go to the same <laughs> church, so uh, it, it's uh, it's always fun to see your face there. And we've done some stuff there together, so mm-hmm. uh, it's always good to to know that you're there because I know the music's going to be good, and uh, that's where I raised my kids in that church, St. Joan of Arc in South Minneapolis. Yeah. <clears throat> what else is left? What else do you want to do, man? Well, there's one thing I really want to do, and um, project that's super close to my heart. So my older daughter, the 15-year-old, um, she has something called Williams syndrome, which is a super rare genetic um, condition. And she's very unique. Uh, kids with Williams, people with Williams syndrome are, they, they say they're the happiest people in the world. They're like, they're, they're very outgoing. They're very... Um, Social, super social and super musical. Hmm. And, you know, there's a huge spectrum of abilities um, uh, with, with the syndrome. And she's very high functioning. Um, uh, she's definitely got her struggles and with school and stuff, but uh, she's very musical. Um, and it's not quite the music like we know. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's always a little different, but... Uh, That's all right. She's amazing. And... Um, so a few, couple of years ago, she started middle school, right? So new school, middle school, um, girl with a disability. So, you know, she's telling us stuff about it. And one of the things we used to do is uh, go to the piano, go around the piano, like before dinner, after dinner and play show tunes or she loves Broadway. Yeah. And I would just start playing something and she'd start singing. I'm like, what, what was that? And she'd... Uh, 
I'm like, do that again. And I'm like, that sounds like a song. Let, so we started writing songs. No. And she has this amazing innate ability to improvise great melodies and lyrics on the spot. And I just started compiling them on my phone, probably a hundred of them, and started producing them up, finishing off the songs. And, you know, she, she's done some theater, but I was like, yeah, you're probably, she's probably never going to get a leading role. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know what? Let's write our own musical. So we've been working on a musical for the Whoa. last three years. Um, she came up with this title. She just blurted out one day at dinner, The Girl Who Cried Different. And I'm like, oh, what a great title. my God, that's the perfect title. That is a great title. So it's all about, you know, middle school, um, being a girl, uh, new school, mean, popular girls, boys, catty stuff, all, the, all this, the horrible stuff that mm-hmm. is middle school. Right. Um, you know, so we've been, uh, we've been working on that. I've been talking to people about it. Um, we just kind of premiered some of it. Um, we were the entertainment for this uh, fundraiser last weekend or two weeks ago. Uh, United Voices of Minnesota. Um, it's kind of the first reveal of any of that. And, um, but uh, that's something I want to see through mm. in whatever, however that's going to end up. But there's something about it in, um, that I can't let go of. And obviously it's a wonderful thing for uh, her and I to do together. And, you know, talk about leaving a legacy. And it's like, it's like, well, I could do all the sessions or whatever, but it's like, if I finish this with her and this is like something we leave behind as a piece of work, it's like, that's a real thing that I can be proud of. And so, yeah, that's, that's the thing that's kind of the, I'm most passionate about right now. Mm. How close are you? The music's good. Okay. But, uh, we got to find someone to write the book as they call it. Um, but, uh, pieces are in place. It's, it's hard. It's like, it's kind of, you know, you juggle all these different projects as a freelance guy. And unfortunately, that kind of ends up at the end of the line a lot of yeah. most days. But slowly but surely, um, we're, it's, it's going somewhere, I think. What a beautiful legacy that would be for you and your family, man. Really. And I, I was just like, love taking on another, you know, like when I started arranging for orchestra, it's like, arranging just someone, um, educator, uh, can't think of his name he's like well were you did you train for that i'm like nope he's like that's amazing well you, th- you throw yourselves into situations where you can't do anything but learn because you don't you always do quality work you always do things and i like that uncomfortable spot where i, I can't i, I don't want to fail yeah and i have to come up to the level right so i don't suck because there's a no suck policy yeah in my contract right. <laughs> So I don't know if that's how you operate too, but it's a challenge, isn't it? With the challenge of yeah, like musical theater, it's like yeah, it's not it's not like I ha- haven't done any of that, but I've never written anything. So mm. I know David Foster's trying to do the same thing right now. Well, but I want to hear yours before Dave. Yeah, <laughs> brother, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show it's fun to you know sometimes when you get to this age you got to book a gig or a podcast just to hang out yeah, with each other because life is nuts and i know how busy you are so thank you for taking the time out yeah well you got quite a setup here <laughs> it's the old haunt man creation studios you know from 1955 on i guess and it's yeah, great to be have, have all these cameras come. set up well that's true that's because these guys are pros they make us look and sound good. Anyways, thank you yeah, man. For, for everything. Tommy Barbarella, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Guess what? Next episode is 50. What are we going to do? I don't know. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Video editing by Tanner Montague. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, the Prince Connection is a bond that lasts forever. Yeah.